And good morning, listeners. I hope you're ready for a very special episode of In Omnia Paratus today. We are joined by our guest, Anna, who knows Jay in a very special way. They were act- <laughs> Yep, I just got that. <laughs> so to clear all of that up, they were a part of the same adoption group together as babies. This that- is why nothing- you don't do the intro. <laughs> this is why you don't do the intro. I know, right? Well, Anna, thank you for joining us today. Sorry if I made that awkward right off the bat. Oh, no, that's okay. Thank you for having me. Um, So I guess, actually, I'm just going to start with one of my questions because I'm super curious. Hold on. Okay. Like like everything nowadays, if the topic of adoption, fostering, transracial adoption, any of these things can be kind of triggering or feelings that are unwanted might happen, feel free to skip this episode. We have episodes about travel and brunch and Angela and I just fighting on random things go back to one of those but if you're still here for adoption um one of the things that I'm actually very curious about because I've seen this a lot in like movies and television and I don't know if this is something that they do just for like the cinematic elements or whatnot but when you are formally adopted by a family is there like a little ceremony that happens Mm, a ceremony where like (laughs) um Um, I guess this is like a broad, like wide ranging thing. But the thing that I woke up (laughs) thinking about this morning was what to expect when you're expecting when Jennifer Lopez and her love interest traveled to Africa and they actually had a ceremony like joining them together as a family oh okay um well i'm i'm sure every situation is different um but as far as like legalities go i know that there's like there is like a courtroom appearance i believe mm-hmm. um i'm not really sure but <laughs> i i do remember going to court with my family and i'm not sure if it was for adoption or it may have been for citizenship as well because as being like an international adoptee you know well I think possibly things have changed, but you know, back then they didn't just like, I mean, you did get citizenship if your parents were citizens, but I think you also like your parents had to like apply and stuff and had to go through paperwork and it wasn't just magically happened, you know, but I think, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I ever asked my mom about that. Jay, I don't know if we had some kind of like special thing after like all the parents like got their babies and stuff but I know the week that they were in China getting us they did do some traveling together and I think they had to finalize some paperwork with you know the government and the orphanages and, and stuff like that yeah I don't think there was any sort of ceremony like family bonding thing my godfather who went with my mom to get me like has footage from it so it's kind of you see the caretaker social work nurses like bring the babies to the family and obviously Obviously, because the way at least our families did it was through kind of a group. It was like a ceremonious thing because a bunch of families were getting babies together. But I think each situation is very different. And in terms of kind of the citizenship on the US side, when you're adopted, you are legally a citizen, but there is a way to go through it to get like the United States um, birth certificate. And so you can get passports and things, which is just kind of an affirmation of it. But some families don't go through that process. Yeah. Or they didn't used to. Mm -hmm. And actually, in adding on to that, I know in 2017, my mom was very adamant that me and then 
I have an older brother who is adopted from Peru. She encouraged us to apply for the citizenship certificate because actually I think that's what they didn't just automatically file. I think adoptees before 2001, they didn't automatically like get a certificate on file. And I think maybe they do that now. So we had to go through that process. So yeah, we, we were citizens, but we didn't have like the piece of paper. I guess where that could matter is like, well, we had passports, but as my mom was explaining to me, she said that like the passport office and the citizenship certificate office, like don't really communicate to each other. So like if something were to happen and like, oh, I don't know, I'm not planning on committing any felonies, but like if I did and like, you know, deportation was on the table or something, if I didn't have that piece of paper, they could easily just like go to that office first and say like, oh, she doesn't have one. She's not a citizen or and stuff like that. So and at the time it was they raised the price from like 500 to 1000 before a certain oh date Jeez. so it yeah it costs a lot and then you know got to get all these other kinds of paperwork i think my parents birth certificates and like i had a california birth certificate and um like their marriage certificate and just like yeah it's a lot but you know thankfully we have it now and that's all over with but yeah like government paperwork is a headache. Definitely. So Anna, you mentioned you actually have another brother who is adopted as well. Like what was that like growing up with siblings? And were you adopted around the same time? Or were you like introduced to each other at different times? So I have two older brothers, one from Peru, and then the other one was born in California. And we were all adopted as babies. So it was kind of like, you know, in typical birth order. Um, mm -hmm. And what what was interesting is that like well our parents are both you know white American and the three of us are all like well one's Peruvian my other brother is like half black half white and then you know I'm Chinese so it was kind of growing up in like a tiny I was gonna say like a tiny United Nations I don't I don't maybe <laughs> but <laughs> what was interesting is that. I don't know. I mean, like, because that's what I grew up with ever since I was little, it felt normal. But at the same time, I could tell, like, I just knew that it, like, wasn't the same as everybody else's families. It didn't feel like we were all from different places. Just like, oh, like, this is my family. We just all look different. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I feel like there was probably maybe the idea of, like, colorblindness at some point. It's not like my parents were trying to pretend, like, oh, no, you guys are all the same. Like, you know, like, my mom pretty woke I guess you could say um and so she totally understands that like you know her son who's like black like of course he's gonna face different challenges than like her and my dad did or like you know just based on the different ways we look we'll encounter different things and she she did her best to kind of like introduce her cultures to us as much as we could I remember you know we, we always went to these different Chinese I guess they were Chinese adoptee events that was hosted by this guy named Ken Young, who is the president of the Prince of Peace Foundation, and he also... Jay, do you know who he is, right? No clue. Oh, wait. Okay. Well, <laughs> I I know that, like, you know, a couple other people in the adoptee group were, like, part of these events sometimes, and then mm. I guess it wasn't the whole group, though. But anyways, he... This guy, he also has like his own daughter adopted from China and he just does a lot of work with the Chinese government and he has like a, I think maybe one or two orphanages in China. But anyways, he sponsored a lot of the events that I went to growing up with my family and I met other adopted Chinese children that way. And just in general, my mom, you know, was in different, I guess, Yahoo groups with families with adopted children and then also adopted children with special needs because my brothers both have different special needs. 
Funny enough, though, like when I was a baby on my paperwork, it was labeled that I had special needs, but it was like I said I had like rickets or something like that, which I don't know if I did or I didn't. But um, according to my mom, they would put that on the paperwork so that like the babies with special needs would get adopted sooner. Um, I did have like a herniated navel. But I mean, that went away. That wasn't a a problem. And then with my brothers, it was, I don't know, it just seemed like normal, I guess, kind of typical. And we didn't, I felt we all kind of found our own interests. And we just kind of like, we grew up in like the white American culture. So that's what we know and probably more what we identify with. For example, I know my brother, he's half black, but he really doesn't identify with the black community community very much. And for me, I don't really identify with being like Asian in a lot of ways other than really how I look. But I do, I have recently been like wanting to get it more into Chinese culture. And for Chinese New Year, I just made dumplings because I thought that was like maybe a tradition I wanted to start with myself. That's nice. I feel like that's one of the great things about getting older within any family situation is that you get to start picking out the traditions that you would like to observe and the things that you would like to learn more about. So I guess, so Jay actually talked to me a little bit about like what it was like with your adoption group growing up and how your parents would get you all together like on an annual basis and then like hearing that you your mom was a part of different adoption groups and things like that with your brothers do you feel like you have more friends who are adopted than not I'm not sure well maybe I don't know if I think of probably like maybe my whole pool of friends like good uh, maybe at least a good like 10 percent are probably adopted which is like a significant amount I guess but mm-hmm. I, I would say like growing up in different adoptee spaces I certainly know a lot of adoptees which was uh comforting in a way and I've also been a part of some Chinese adoptee groups on Facebook too and I found that a lot of those adoptees who they not all of them had that opportunity to grow up or meet other adoptees and they're just like you know stuck out in the Midwest and it was really hard for them because I felt like so alone they're first of all the only Asian one around in their community and then second of all they don't know anybody else with their story and so I definitely feel lucky to have had those opportunities and it kind of made me feel special in a way too because it's like oh like you know not everybody gets to go to these kinds of groups and has these special reunions and things like that. So even though it makes you feel set apart, like for me, it also made me feel special, I guess. <laughs> That's kind of how I see it too, a little bit. Whenever Jay talks to me about what life was like growing up, knowing that she was adopted, like to me, it sounded like you were all a part of like this like cool little club together. Yeah. So, Jay, your thoughts? Our families from... I don't know if they decided this pre-adoption or post-adoption or in China or when they kind of decided to do this. Most of the families, I believe, are in California and it made it easy for, and I think it's really great because the majority of the transracial adoptee parents were white so I really do commend all of the parents in the group for nurturing and realizing that this should be a priority for their daughters we are a group of all girls I'm sure there are ones that are for boys but we're a group of 15 or 16 girls I think it's 15 families but there was more like 12 of us that yeah but I think it was great they would take us to like a campground cabin kind of thing And I mean, at least with my experience for kind of during those preteen years, it seemed very evident no one really wanted to be there the first day (laughs) because this was an annual thing. So it was kind of a thing of like, we're all like, okay, like we're going to go for the weekend. 
by the last day we didn't want to leave and we were talking more than ever so it was kind of the typical girl thing of like it was weird and then it wasn't and then it was nice for us to just hang out because it wasn't a thing of you were adopted share your feelings with each other it was a thing of like these are people who share a similar experience and if you felt like speaking of it you could and these girls would be some of the only people who could relate to that situation but it was also just to nurture the fact that we are fortunate to have these other people with the same experience at the same time in our lives in any capacity which we feel comfortable and would like to continue on into adulthood which we do I agree yeah for me it was definitely part of my childhood and like early teen years that I valued growing up I always looked forward to our reunions and thinking back I don't feel like I mean I'm sure maybe you know some parts of the group do but personally I don't feel like I I even like talked that much about like adoption with some of the other girls but maybe I did I don't know a lot (laughs) the memories that stick out to me are like just like the fun wild things we did or laughing and like the crafts and actually a while ago when we were little, like our parents made those little, all the memory books, but it's like, like a yearbook. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, this, like you know, my favorite thing to say, or like my favorite color or like favorite food, like those kinds of things that parents do when their kids are little. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we did that at like one of the reunions and like sort of actually, I don't know. Th- this is like on the topic, but sort of not. The other day, my mom told me, she was like talking to somebody that knew me when I was little and they were saying that they remember pictures of me in like a little red dress or something. And apparently when I was five for Halloween, <laughs> I said that I wanted to dress up as like a Chinese girl. So apparently at that time, I didn't really have that concept of like identity or, you know, honestly, I don't even remember. I don't know if remember is the right word. I don't, I don't really feel like Chinese until I'm looking in the mirror. So it was interesting to hear that. Oh, I didn't, you know, realize that's who I was technically and I just kind of felt like I don't know if that makes any sense (laughs) no I I think it definitely does because I feel like it also speaks a lot to like the location and where you grow up like what your family's like how it's maybe even sort of like culturally like introduced to you so like for example I'm half white half Hispanic but I feel like I definitely identify a lot more as white and I totally get the thing about the mirror (laughs) because I feel like my outside like doesn't always seem to match what's on the inside Mm -hmm. and so it's one of those things where it's like it's not necessarily that it's like two parts of you that are split but it's just something that you kind of have to make that conscious effort to merge in your mind yeah so what I'm a little bit curious about is like what was it like navigating the sorry that's the ice machine we can't hear anything okay perfect so what I'm curious about for both of you is what has it been like navigating the topic of adoption with different peer groups as you've aged? I don't think it ever felt much like an issue until recently. For me, I was fortunate to grow up in a space with a lot of Asian people in general. The culture was around it. Like I remember through my schooling, we started getting Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year off. We would get President's Day off because there was such a big Asian community where I live. So I think that might be one of the reasons I didn't do as many like Asian adoptee specific things because I was very much immersed with a lot of Asians around me. I wasn't set as like set apart which is one of the reasons I think my mom at least had a 
chosen to adopt from China, knowing that living in the Bay Area, I would see a lot of people who looked like me, could make friends with people who looked like me, all of that. So growing up, I would kind of always get the same questions of like, oh, like your mom looks white or your uncle's picking you up or like, oh, um, there was another girl in our adopted group who lives where I live and we went to the same school together from preschool till eighth grade. And so people are always like, oh, are you sisters? Is that a thing? And I always welcome the questions because I was fortunate to grow up in an environment where adoption was normal. It was common. I knew I have family members who were adopted I have the group we call ourselves China sisters who like are adopted like it was a very normalized thing for me so only recently as I've kind of been reflecting during this year especially now with all of the Asian hate and like in these adoptee groups realizing that I had answered and been asked some very inappropriate questions that I'm kind of now just starting to reconcile with I always saw myself as someone like, if I'm the only transracial Asian Chinese adoptee you ever meet, I'd rather answer your questions as politely and kind of explain why maybe they shouldn't be asked again. But what I kind of realized personally in doing so is it was one of my ways to kind of protect myself from my own feelings around it to make no like I'm fine like I love my family in this and what I'm realizing now just between my TikTok has people who are adopted and these other groups are realizing that being adopted is traumatic and does have trauma with it and I think a lot of times people who are not adopted or around adoptees don't really know the correct questions to ask and there are not correct ones but there are some more inappropriate ones for example I remember I was being set up for a college event and when I went to go meet up with my date for the first time we were talking and I brought up that I was adopted and he was like oh is it because of the one child policy okay like that made me so mad that that is a question that I mean I don't think this is a pass but maybe because this guy was also Asian he felt like it was something we had in common about being Asian but I don't think kind of looking back on some of the things I don't think that's ever appropriate to ask similar things like that especially to someone you're meeting for the first time and so kind of going forward when people ask I'm learning how to protect and own my own identity around it rather than try to just be like the ask me anything about adoption person. Do you feel like that's really impacted the conversations that you've had about adoption with like new people in your life? Once in my life now, like dating and trying to just kind of interact, I don't bring it up. It used to be my fun fact because the only other fun fact is that like my fingers are double jointed, but they're not as double jointed. Like I can't take my arm and like dislocate my shoulder. So it was never a visible enough thing. I couldn't lick my elbow. I couldn't lick my nose. I couldn't like do the wave with my tongue. Like the only thing that felt like different about me for those icebreakers was that I was adopted. So I'd lead Mm. with it. And now that I'm thinking about it more, it can be a vulnerable topic and it's not something that I necessarily need to share with everyone. So I think I'm personally more protective of it than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. which is not something I thought would ever happen but I realized it's more important for me to do a little bit of like a pre-screen before I start sharing that part about my history than I thought I needed to that makes a lot of sense also that's wild you mentioned your fingers are double jointed because my thumbs are double jointed too I'm pretty sure <laughs> I feel like uh I've been reevaluating, evaluating re that a little bit too like you said before 
thinking back, there's definitely a lot of comments or like questions people have made that are like, I mean, they're as bad as just saying like, oh, where are you from? And then expecting, you know, the answer of a country, which funny enough for us, I feel like they just, you know, those people happen to get lucky and that we do say, we could say like, oh, we are from China, but as opposed to like other, you know, Asian Americans that grew up in, you know, just locally who are technically from like Walnut Creek or San Jose or something like, you know, we are technically from China, but at the same time, like we did grow up here. So, well, what answer am I going to give? You know, am I going to like go into it or just, you know, say the least and not have that conversation? Uh, one instance I remember that was like, I, I don't know if you've gotten this, Jay, like with your name. My last name is Giffen. So a very white name, I feel like. I think it's Scottish or Irish or something. I don't know. But I remember one time in high school, my math teacher, who was also like Chinese, this one day she's like, how come your last name's not Asian? And I I was just like, I don't, I'm adopted. I don't know. (laughs) But I feel thinking back, I kind of felt like that was like a little bit of a, a microaggression, even if it wasn't intentional. Oh yeah. I've definitely gotten that. And I don't know about you, Anna, but a lot of mine actually have come from other Asians. As much as there are kind of some systemic problems, I feel like a lot of the things I get are about from other Asians who I think everyone's identity and how they walk and identify and their purpose and everything is valid unless you're like a psychopath or a serial killer <laughs> or like a sexual assault person. Like yeah. unless you're a terrible person, like own your truth and own who you are. Mm-hmm. But for me, I feel like I get a lot more pushback about like, well, you're not Asian. It's like, and the thing's like, Girl, you're third generation. I came from the homeland. I was born there. So how are you trying to tell me that my DNA goes back only to China? I have taken 23 in me. Like, I'm fully Chinese. Yeah. And the fact that people have the audacity to be like, well, like, you're American. It's like, yes. But I was having this conversation with someone else. And they're like, oh, do you say Asian American or American Asian? I had never heard American Asian. But then when I kind of stopped to think about it, it's like, if I'm walking down the street, especially in times like now, and this was right after Atlanta, people aren't going to see that I'm a transracial adoptee growing up in a dominantly white family. I look Asian, just like every other person. So it was always very frustrating for a lot of the microaggressions to come from Asians who had more of a tie to the culture because it was like, yes, but if we're both walking down the street, they don't care whether I was raised by a white, black, Hispanic, Jewish, Scottish family. I just look like someone they're stereotyping. And so it was kind of a thing of, I frankly really identified with my friends who were multiracial because I didn't feel like I'm definitely not white. I've been called white, not only on the phone. I've been said, oh, who's the white parent or how are you white or are you full white, which I don't understand what was in her head. (laughs) But also then just on the Asian side, it's like, well, yeah, but like you don't do that. It's like, well, you're not really Asian. So it's like, I felt a lot of kind of like camaraderie from my friends who were biracial or who were multiracial because it's like they understand that because of because we're not physically like mixed but we're culturally mixed and that's something Angela and I actually really talk about because my experience even though I am biologically fully Asian my experience in spaces has been very similar to hers being Mm. multiracial yeah my hot take for the day your cultural identity matters just as much as your biological identity I totally agree. For me, I feel like I almost feel like I 
there's like three cultures I identify with. My birth culture, the culture I was raised in. And then throughout my adolescence and young adulthood, I've spent a lot of time in Tijuana, Mexico, doing like different mission trips and just working there. And through that time, I've really grown to love that culture. And so there was, you know, a point where I was even like, oh, I want to have like half Mexican kids because like, I don't know, I just (laughs) I just wanted that to happen. (laughs) And I, I have a lot of friends there and a lot of people I'm close with. And I majored in Spanish and got like my associates in Spanish just so I could, well, I wasn't really interested in anything else other than Spanish, I guess, too. But but also so I could <laughs> communicate with all those people that I was close to in Mexico. And through that time, I feel like I've really like fallen in love with that culture as well. And like, honestly, like I, if I had to pick like another place to live, you know, I feel like I would pick there, either there or China, you know, but I, I kind of feel like not having those maybe traditional cultural ties in in a sense kind of makes you more free to latch on to whatever you like really are interested in or passionate about no I agree and I think that's something especially as you're older you start to see and appreciate more and this is not the same thing at all, but this is just the one that I can think of right now. Um, there's actually this guy on PBS. Do either of you watch PBS or am I the super boomer today? Um, I don't. No. <laughs> okay. Well, he has... R.I.P. Bob Ross. I Aww. know. I actually just used that as a birthday meme for someone. So he lives on. <laughs> but who do you watch on PBS? Killing me because I can't remember his name right now, but he's actually a man, white man from Chicago who his mother actually fell in love with Mexican culture on like an extended trip to Mexico. And then like she took the family there like annually, like multiple times. They all fell in love with the culture and tradition and the food. And he actually now runs his own restaurants, both in Mexico, California, and Illinois. And he just like has completely immersed himself in the culture. And that's how he identifies now. That's awesome. That kind of reminds me of, I don't know if either of you saw this video. I was fascinated by it. But it was lowrider culture in Japan. Oh, yes. Did either of you see this video? Yeah. So I was fascinated when I saw this and people were like, is it appropriation or whatever? And it's like, at least from how I saw the video and if there's greater context, I need to be corrected. I'm more than willing to learn. They just appreciated the culture of what it meant. It kind of went against the typical Japanese stereotypes of being quiet and being complacent. It's like the girls, they love the hoops. They love the hairstyles. They loved the culture. They loved the cars. And It was just a great thing of for me seeing it's like we can and should embrace other cultures in a respectful, educated, loving way. I feel like it's hard because I understand that people who go through experiences want to find their people, their culture. But I think at the same time, there's that statistic by 2050, more kids will be mixed than will be mono-raced. No, I think... Especially now we have a lot of conversations about the thin line between appropriation and appreciation, but I actually don't think it's that thin. And I think that there are so many ways that you can appreciate other cultures and fold them into your life. And it's not appropriation because of the way that you present it. Like you're not saying that you are X person because you like this. You're saying that you identify with this and you feel a kinship to them. Yeah, I I agree with what you're saying there. 
I, I feel like as long as you're respectful and appreciative of different cultures, I don't, I don't really see a problem with, you know, taking them on. And then I, but I think where the issue would come is when you, I don't know. The, the biggest issue with, I guess, is stereotyping thing. Actually, mm-hmm. I just took this diversity class for, I'm taking some child development classes and one of them is called Teaching in a Diverse Society. And one of the big things we talked about, we talked a lot about a lot of big things, racism and like all those stuff and biases and uh, stereotypes. And it was very like eye-opening to learn about that. But one of the things that they want you to be aware of, you know, as a preschool teacher or just a teacher in general, what they call the, the tour approach which I don't know if either of you ever heard of that but it's basically like if you think back to like I don't know when you were going to school you know having like a culture day or like celebrating the Cinco celebrating Cinco de Mayo even though that's like not really um it's not really like a big holiday they celebrate in Mexico anyways Mm -hmm. it's just like Mm -hmm. super like American like you know touristy kind of thing or like oh on like St. Patrick's Day everybody like does you know I mean you know leprechaun stuff is fun but then if you make it like oh like everybody's Irish or something or just like bits and pieces of different cultures without really like delving into the importance I think that's where it can be problematic Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. There was a teacher I saw on TikTok and the way I believe she was an English teacher. And the first question she asks her class is kind of like an icebreaker is, how does your family cook rice? Mm. And if you really think about it, mm. most cultures have a way of doing it. And I think it's a lovely way kind of to show the diversity of everyone, but also everyone cooks rice. Yeah, true. It's just one of those things that it kind of shows the, oh my god not diaspora dialysis the dual the duality (laughs) of everything i only had half a cup of coffee this morning that's okay but it's actually really funny that you bring up rice because that's something i encountered on one of my recent trips um we were sitting next to a table of women and one woman had recently visited california went to a mexican restaurant and had rice milk as a dessert and was trying to explain it to her friends at the table and it was It was really hard for them to wrap their heads around because they were so they gave you a bowl of rice and a cup of milk. Mm. She's like, no, no, like they're they're cooked together. They add spices and everything. Is it like oatmeal? I don't know what rice milk is. Oh, okay. I will make you some when I come back. Um, (laughs) But it's I guess it kind of can be. It's it's like a rice um, porridge. Yes. It's um, it's kind of sweet. I know um, a lot of parents like make it for their kids when they're sick. It's almost horchata, but with rice. Oh, yeah. But is it more like what kind of consistency is it? It'd be like Mexican um, kanji, I want to say. Okay, that, yes. okay, that's the word I was. Okay, I got it. Thank you. Yeah, like you can eat it like hot or cold. Hot is preferred. Cold is a little weird, but it's very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's funny. One time I went to my friend's house who's Filipino, and I don't know if a lot of like Asian families are like this, but they just like have this rice cooker with rice sitting out at all times and I thought that was so weird I'm just, you just have rice available at all times of the day and she's like yeah oh uh, I don't know I know a lot of Asian families that do have that yeah I'm sure I'm sure some I've seen it at many people's houses yeah I think I, I saw college was actually the first time I encountered a rice cooker and I had no idea how to use it oh my god I remember that yeah because I'm I'm Oof. used to like pan frying rice or yeah. just like <laughs> steaming it really quick like in a pot 
because like oh. that's what you do before you like put it in the pan and add the tomato sauce and everything. Oh my god, that hurt. That I remember that. That hurt a lot. <laughs> when you put the rice cooker. I'm like, like you grew up in the Bay Area. But we cook rice differently. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest, like I we did have rice cookers, but I grew up more with like you know Uncle Ben's rice, so. Which is, like, also cooked in, like, a pot, boiled and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, the biggest thing I did to disappoint one of my lovely godfathers, who's Japanese, is I put soy sauce on rice, and that's, like, a big no-no. Mm. And then I got my cousin to start doing it. Yeah, he still gets mad at me for it this day. I'm like, I don't care. Tastes good. Yeah. Soy sauce is amazing. Yes, but it's not meant to go on rice. So, apparently, like, that's a big no-no for, like, certain people very tied to, like, Asian culture. Yeah, he was very disappointed. And by the time he realized I was doing it, I got a son hooked on it too. Oh no. I could not eat gluten as a child. I deserved every little food joy I could have. <laughs> Fair. So I guess speaking of children, looking forward into the future, do either of you see adoption as your potential family planning? Hmm. Well, for me, um, I guess you could say I've been conflicted. Because personally, I've kind of always like wanted at least like one biological child. Because for me, I feel like, I don't know, I want that like biological connection. And I always thought like, well, if I'm not going to meet anybody I'm biologically related to, I could always like create them myself, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And um, so, but I wouldn't say adoption would be like off the table because, you know, I don't, but I, but I guess being an adoptee with that, I also, I already know a bunch of like the consequences isn't the right word. I guess things that come with being adopted. So, you know, there's a lot of like logistical things and costs and stuff, which I mean, you know, having a child in any capacity is going to cost money. So, but you know, there's that like, and then trauma, which I mean, I'm sure some adoptees have less trauma than others, but I feel like there's always going to be that bits and pieces because just like naturally, I feel like when you take a kid away from their biological parent, there is like a little bit of something missing, but you know, you, you, you can work through that. Um, so, you know, there's those kinds of things. But I mean, like, you know, I have nothing against adoptees, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, so I feel like I go either way. And then for me, on top of it, like, I'm also like, I'm also queer. So recently, I've been thinking about, well, well, if I were to have a kid, I could just like have a kid any way I want, you know, I could find any possible, you know, father, sperm donor, whatever. And even if I didn't have a partner, I could be like, well, or actually anybody that doesn't have a partner that has the ability to, or that has eggs, can just like have a kid by themselves if they wanted to. So I've like had that cross my mind as well. So I don't know. I feel like, yes, I do want like a bio kid, but I wouldn't be like opposed to adoption. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The one thing that I recently realized is I do not want to be with a partner who would be against adoption. Even if I don't end up adopting, I'd like to. But even if they don't, because I mean, I would need an explanation because the me, the idea that you don't want to adopt because it's your bio kids, you can't love them as much. Everything is like, you're literally invalidating my family mm-hmm. and my existence here. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not okay <clears throat> with that. So whether I adopt after or not, I'm not sure. I'd like to. I really wanted to. I planned on it. I wanted cheaper by the dozen family size. <laughs> so I would have a, I'd have a mosh pot of everything. But more and more what I've been seeing and hearing about adoption and not only my own trauma, just the trauma of others, I've been thinking about it and reevaluating it. Not that I wouldn't do it anymore, but I think something – 
I think it's very quick to say, and I think people say it too frequently, fertility struggles. I'm like, well, adopt. There are so many kids around the world who need homes or like for sustainability, for the environment. And I think when we talk about adoptees in that way, it's very harmful because we're not cattle that you can just like buy and sell and move around. We're humans who for whatever reason, some more, some different than others, some it's that There are kids taken from their families. There are children bought out of their families. There are laws in other countries. Like it's very, every situation is different. But for people like I see this on the internet all the time, they're like, stop having biological children and adopt. And it's like being put up for adoption is going to be traumatic because there is a bond between the baby and the mother. Mm -hmm. So they're already getting that trauma. And then two, being put in a family that does not have the capacity to love a child other than their own will just cause more harm than good and that's the part I think people don't realize is people are like well just adopt like it's fine like there are so many kids out there anyway it's like but it's not wrong that some people don't have that capacity but we need to understand that without that capacity that kid could end up with more emotional trauma and turmoil because of that than they would have not getting adopted Yeah. Adoption is not a problem for infertile people or for adoption was not created because people were infertile or because members of the LGBTQI people could not have biological children. Adoption is not a solution. Adoption in itself is a problem. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, people, I agree with that. Like it's kind of put as like the second option, which makes adoptees or at least me I'm sure a lot of adoptees feel like second class or like invaluable because it's like they're the last resort or something and I I feel like you know nobody should adopt unless they have a heart for it or like are doing it Mm -hmm. out of the desire to to I guess help but at the same time though then that also goes into like uh, like the, the white savior complex thing too which is like equally as problematic with I'm sure you've heard about that Jay um, Mm -hmm. and oh like actually did you hear about the recent ish like YouTuber scandal who I don't know her the one who the one who rehomed yeah yeah I watched I watched that family and everything yeah too which is why it was so disheartening yeah I think oh my god the white I mean, more in these adoptee groups than I ever had have I seen parents, particularly white parents, I'm sure some have other parents, be so like, I did you a favor. It's like, whoa. Oh my God. Some of the, when like, scroll through these like adoptee, these Asian like adoptee group things, like some of them are crazy. These parents are like, I provided for you. I loved you. And now you're treating me this way, especially talking about like Asian hate and microaggressions and comments that have been made throughout their lifetime. Some of these parents are very invalidating over these things. It's like, wow. Yeah. And this isn't saying all people shouldn't, white people should not adopt, but I think there's a ton more in it. One of my favorite scenes, I have, I haven't kept up with the show, but I've seen the scene a bunch of times is in This Is Us, where they're at the pool and Randall is counting how many like black people he sees because he's not used to it growing up in the suburbs. And eventually like Mandy Moore sees her son playing with another black child and like takes him away because just she didn't know who they were. So for her, it was Stranger Danger. Obviously, it came off racist and was racist. And so at the end of the episode, it's great how Mandy Moore like clearly like sucks up her pride and was like, do you have a barber? Like, I don't know how to help my son. And then it was like, maybe our son's kind of a play date. And then like she ends it and because it's a 
drama they ended on a funny note like does he need to wear sunscreen she's like my husband's like no but i'm like yes he does and then so like she laughs and like it shows her effort to reach out to the community but being a white parent adopting and making it a transracial or interracial family you can't be colorblind you can't you need to be educated i'm not saying i hate the term woke because i think it just feeds into the narrative of woke and account woke woke is not a thing educated is a thing critical thinking is a thing cancel culture is not a thing holding people accountable for their actions and expecting change or losing their platform is a thing we don't cancel culture does not exist that's Mm. my hot take cancel culture is just people unwanting to take accountability for their actions and growing up in a society where they never were held accountable and now that they are they're choosing to victimize themselves you know uh, the thing that you said about colorblindness going back to what i learned about my class um when we were talking about bias um there was a study done basically like you had three groups of people um and it was like a white person working with a black person and they had to do some team project together or team exercise i don't know um and so the people who said that they didn't have any bias and then also showed it by their actions did this team exercise the fastest with a black person the people who said they didn't have bias but did it took them the longest and then the people who said they had bias like admitted to it and you know acted that way actually did the exercise faster than the people who said that they didn't have bias but secretly did so I I don't know if that made any sense but all that to say that a big important step in all of this uh you know racial conflict is or and prejudice in general actually is that I feel like you need to be aware and admit when you are like feeling biased towards a certain thing because then when you recognize that then you can make sure that you don't act prejudicely or at least that's what I've like learned recently and I feel like that it makes a lot of sense accountability everyone don't be afraid to ask questions in the most respectful manner or share your feelings in a space where you can grow goodness Mm -hmm. that's crazy i think like that example you gave really just shows like i'm not saying like hold on to your microaggressions and racial stuff but acknowledging that it's there is the only way we can move forward we can't move forward if we're all like we're not racist we don't see color and then it's like okay well if your actions don't match that then we have nowhere to go versus if people are like i'm uneducated i want to learn more then that's the only way we can really like move forward and like work on this like i remember learning i believe it's ta-nehisi coates who's who is like writing a book and did a book on like child development where it was children start to recognize like skin color at three months oh yeah so it's like wow i need to in those first three months just like help my kids full of like people of all colors of the rainbow because that's crazy to think that we have a we have a sorority sister who i always bring up because i remember her doing this so intentionally who during quarantine had a young child and was buying him books of different colors and genders and everything because he couldn't go into the real world and see the colors because we were all at home. And it's like, wow, that's so important, getting your kids dolls. One of my first tea tea party sets I got, my godfather intentionally chose because there was an Asian kid on the box. I got Asian Barbie dolls. I had an Asian baby doll. My family was very clear on making sure like I was reflecting 
collected in things in the world. Yeah, that's definitely important. Angela, anything else you want to be edumacated on today? Um, do you, oh, I have one final question and I know it's sort of like the hot take and you guys, neither of you need to answer this because I know this is the most hated question for people who have been adopted, but have either of you felt like you would like to meet your suppliers? Uh... <laughs> Did you decide on that term or is that something you saw on the internet? I decided on it because I I I don't like birth parent. I feel like it's still a little weird. So I went with supplier. Got it. Well, something really interesting, this is not a conversation for this that I've been looking into a lot, is trying to make language more inclusive for AFAB people who do not identify as female. Mm-hmm. And like birth person is one of those terms that has been thrown around in trying to kind of make this transition to be more inclusive. But the thing that I was realizing is like, well, birth parent, well, then not that I'm not, I think we need a different term because like, then if you say you're a birth parent, people like for at least my whole time, it's like, well, then what do I, what do I call my family? Like my, my biological family, if everyone's going to start using, oh, like my birth parent, then it's no longer the way like adopt, like adoptees would need a whole new way of expressing their situation because birth parent is going to be the new normal. But since we went with like milk supplier, (laughs) um, I, I've gone back and forth. I think I don't really know what I think it would be something where I for it would have to happen I would need to be like manage my expectations and understand like something I'd be ready for it's like of course of course you think about it and you at some point are like yes I want to know I want to find them but then on the other hand it's the thing of one do they want to be found and what that could mean and how that could re-traumatize, re-trigger, re-everything to someone. And then there's a the thing of, this is, I've I've seen in media, I'm sure it's happened, but like it's an odd concept for me of seeing that the fact that like your biological parents who gave you it for adoption have other kids. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that I don't really know if I am prepared and or would want to open the box to. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone is different. Just if I were gonna do it, I would need some definite therapy and support systems in place to make it happen because I think as much as everyone dreams of like the happy reunion that's not not necessarily there are many ways it could happen and until I felt at peace with what I wanted to get out of it I wouldn't want to do it yeah um for me I've thought about it you know back and forth and I guess bare minimum I've always wanted to just know what they look like or like know about them and like even just like having an identity of who they were in like a picture like that would almost just be good enough for me because I've always just been curious like you know who are these people and it's just so weird to think about how like you're like I guess created by somebody and then you just other than when you were first born or maybe like well I don't really know when I was exactly dropped off or dropped off at the orphanage or whatever happened I don't even know I I don't I honestly don't even feel like I know what happened like the first five months of my life because I was only like five months old when I was adopted but I know like Jay you're mm-hmm. a little a little older I mean ideally I'd like to think it would be like oh it'd be nice to just like search up you know find like who these people are or like get some DNA match but I feel like in China with all their um the just like logistical things and like with the policy like that's just has led to so many complications and I know that okay I don't know I, I did watch the one child policy like documentary which I, I did you ever watch that Jay or no no 
Yeah, it's definitely... I won't even watch the Joy Luck Club. Which... <laughs> I'm sure it could unleash a whole slew of different different feelings and emotions and stuff. And But basically, one of the things in that, I guess there's like these people who are trying to help like connect adoptees with their birth parents. But, you know, it's kind of funny when people like ask me that. I'm like, I guess I'd like to meet them. But it's like, I wouldn't even know like where to begin like with the cert. So I think just like the reality of that makes it me want to just say like, no, like, you know, it's not worth the effort. But um, I don't really like have any expectations, but at the same time, like I probably do. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, like you said, Jay, the best way to go about it would just, you know, have no expectations or anything and just like prepare yourself emotionally for it. But that's interesting. Yeah, the, the thing you were talking about with like birth parents and like, yeah, I, you know, I don't know what to call them. Or oh, I hate when uh, people are just like, oh, you're real mom or whatever. It's like, oh, oh yeah, that was that, that's, <laughs> that's the, the worst. That's, that's always fun. That uh, was a big one that I got especially as a kid and it's like I get as children it's a harder it is harder to explain I mean we were adopted and we we understood the difference so I guess it's just up to non-adoptee families to make it a little clearer yeah her and even I I work with children now and sometimes they'll ask me and I'll talk to them about it and it's actually nice though it's like some of them you know do understand you just explain like oh well you know my mom's my mom but like I was born somewhere else and I feel like if you explain it in a very like informational way they they can get it but I I don't know if you've ever gotten this Jay but multiple people like throughout the years ever since I was little and like to this day still they like tell me I look like my mom and that specifically Asian people say that I look like my mom (laughs) I've heard that too. I've gotten that. And the thing is like my mom can, I mean, I wouldn't say she looks Asian by any means, but my mom doesn't necessarily, like you wouldn't assume, my mom's a Russian Jew, but like you wouldn't necessarily assume that by looking at her features. Mm. So some people have said that. For me, the weirder ones are like, yeah, when they're like, you look like her, I'm like, okay, I sure. Like I think (laughs) part of that's nature, but I think part, like part of it's like just like nature, like being around and like mannerisms and things and like knowing it but it's also kind of a thing of like sure yeah if, if that's what you want to say like I don't know are you trying to make me feel better like because you look like your parents and then there are people who like are biological related who still don't look like their parents yeah so it's like I feel like sometimes people do it to overcompensate that's true and I know a lot of times people like purposely like look for the similarities so yeah yeah but I guess that's all I have to say about that Well, thank you so much for talking about this with me today, both of you, and answering my questions. And thank thank you you so much for being our special guest and coming and joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'd love to get you and then maybe some of the other girls at some point on. Because I think there's talking about it from being Asian, from being adopted, and there's just talking about what it's like existing in society and having to make connections and making networking and talking to people filling out forms could be its whole another episode oh, it's like gosh, filling yeah. out like any kind of form as an adoptee mm-hmm. an adoptee with a single parent is even better when they won't let you proceed until you put in the name of your second parent uh, that that's a fun one mm-hmm. honestly like i would love for you two to talk to some of my other friends who are adopted because they I feel like they had very different experiences and they actually hid the fact that they were adopted well one girl in our group I don't know her so I feel like I have I I couldn't even I don't even know what her name is her parents didn't tell her she was adopted from our group, which is why we never she never came to the reunions. Yeah. Like my mom told me this year, so oh, wow. they didn't tell her. And I'm like, oh no. Her parents were Chinese, so they could like hide that easier. Yeah. But like yeah, there are some girls in our group who I know hid it. Like didn't tell people? Yeah, like one of them um I know didn't like tell it. Mm. Obviously if people came to her house or not, but it's like the assumption is especially with me 
having a single mom was like, oh, well, the dad's Asian. Yeah. Like, she just really looked like her father. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even I, I do have two parents, but, like, if I'm just out with one, they're like, you know, people are like, I'm out my mom. She kind of has, like, almond D-shaped eyes, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people, oh, like, oh, is your husband Asian? Or, like, <laughs> when we were all little, my mom got the strangest looks, like, walking around with, like, three different different race kids and, like, by herself. People would be like, oh, like, she sleep around or something? <laughs> or, like, or I don't know. I'm sure, you know, those wild thoughts. But... Mm-hmm. Or she's like your nanny. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it would be interesting to talk to people who intentionally hit it. Because I mean, if they, if, yeah, Angel, I talk to your friends because like, I don't, I don't, it was so normalized for my situation. Mm-hmm. But I suppose if like you were the one and only or the few and only and didn't feel any connection, that must be hard and must be reason to keep you as normal as possible. Because even though normal is a construct, being young, all you want to do is be normal. Yeah. Until you can break out of the Matrix. I've never seen that movie. I don't understand that. Seen it either. One day, Jay. One day. Yeah, there's been a lot of crazy adoption stories. Real quick, there was this... I don't remember what the... I think it was called Three Strangers or... I don't know, but basically there's these, like, adoption experiments done in New York and where it was, like, I think specifically, like, a Jewish adoption center. And one of the cases was these three triplets who were all separated at birth and, like, adopted out to three different families. But they were, like, legit being, like, studied by these, like, researchers as they grew up. Like, they would just come to their house and, like, serve them and write notes down. And then, like, it wasn't until, like, these kids were, like, in college and they happened to, like, go to the same college to get the two of them went to the same college and they, like, ran into each other or, like, one of their friends, like, saw the other one and was like, oh, I thought you were so-and-so, but, like, yeah, and then they all came together, and it was it was like a good thing at first, but then like all the trauma of like their experiences like became a lot, and I don't know. It's a movie on Amazon Prime, I think, but it's just wild that like those kinds of things happen. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Some of the experiments like inside class that you learned that people pulled. I remember last year. This is completely off topic. I remember last year I heard how like the Stanford Prison Experiment has been disproved. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that that they should stop teaching people that. Like it didn't happen, or it did. It wasn't like helpful. Um, it was disproved. So do you know what the Stanford Prison Experiment like? How it was set up? I th- like they had some students be like the guards and some students be the prisoner. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was a thing of like, Angel, do you remember exactly how it was disproved or what it was? I don't, but I think okay. I think it was that they when push came to shove, it was like not everyone like was immediately like going to like turn militant. I also think they were egged on like they told like they made I think like they but like before they went into it like they were encouraged like yeah do your worst let's keep going like pulling people out like during it saying like hey like you know you could do more mm-hmm. okay but yeah people pulled some wild things like that's how we know babies I remember in AP psych class we learned that babies could float under six months because like of the womb and it's like to test that like they threw a baby in water <laughs> oh <laughs> oh yeah ready to sign us off Angela I am yes are you actually? Hi. Sorry, I got like super comfortable and started like lounging back in the chair so I wasn't near the computer at all. Well, Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you and thank you for answering more of our questions here. Thank you. Oh God, how do I sign us off? Thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> Catch us next Monday for whatever shenanigans we'll be up to. I don't know when this is, but happy Pride, happy Gotcha Day for all those people out there. Happy Hot Girl Summer. And we will you will tune into us next week. There we go. Bye.